This morning uh, we're going to be touching on something called future glory. And um, I don't know about you, but have you ever had uh, a moment where you've really built up to something and it's, and it's not really turned out as you expected? Um, it's been a sense of disappointment, a bit of an anticlimax. I remember years ago, um, as a youth group in South Wales from Swansea, we went, up to, uh, to, we went up to London, we went to Windsor Safari Park. And it was a great day out, except that Windsor Safari Park was shut. And um, so it was a, a bit of an anticlimax when we got there, a bit of a disappointment. I remember going many years ago to a band, uh, see a band, uh, one of my favorite bands. We, uh, my friend and I, we drove all the way uh, to Aston Villa Leisure Centre, so it was about a four-hour drive. We got there, the support band came on, the support band finished, and then someone got up and said, oh, I'm sorry, one of the, uh, uh, one of the, the, uh, the players in the band, uh, the main, main act of the night, um, wasn't feeling very well, and so they cancelled the concert. And you're like, what's that? Can't you sing with a bit of a cold? I sort of feel a little bit coldy this morning. Can you imagine? I just said, oh, I didn't bother coming this morning, actually. Just felt a little bit, oh, a little bit under the weather. And uh, so the moments, these moments where there's a little bit of an anticlimax. And uh, we're going to uh, be picking up on, on something here that sometimes we can live with that sense of, of disappointment, a bit of an anticlimax. And we're going to pick up something that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. The words are going to come up behind me on the screen. And then I'm going to read a, a brief bit from a passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. So this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And then Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse is 12 to 13 and 16 to 18 says this. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And what Paul is talking about here is that Moses uh, was God's representative and God would speak to Moses uh, in, a, in a tent when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And Moses would go into the tent and God's presence would come over the tent. And when Moses came out, his face was glowing with having been in the glorious presence of God. And as, uh, as time went on, the, the, the glory, the, if you like, the radiance would start to fade. And so to stop the people seeing the fading glory, Moses would put a veil over his face. That's what uh, Paul is talking about. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Some... uh, Months ago now, I went, Annie and I went stargazing. 
And uh, we were out, it was, while we were away in, uh, it was over the San Andreas Fault in California. And uh, learnt uh, lots of things that night that I didn't know about the night sky, about constellations, things called asterisms. I learnt all sorts of stuff that I didn't know. And shining in the night sky, you could see so very clearly stars and planets. And you know, actually, to uh, our eyes... It's, it's to the naked eye, it's not easy to distinguish the difference between them. How on earth is it possible for us to see planets? They're just objects in, in a dark sky. The reason we see them is because they reflect light. And the planet with the highest reflectivity is called Venus. And around about 70% of the sun's light that hits Venus is reflected off. And that's why we, it's, it's, it's one of the brightest things in the night sky, the planet Venus. Paul says to the followers of Jesus, to us, he says that we are to shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. So he says that to the Philippian believers. And the truth is, rather than stars, we're actually a little bit more like planets Because we produce no light of our own. We simply reflect the greater light of Jesus Christ, the the light of Christ as he lives in us and dwells in us. And our aim should be to be as reflective as possible. Isaiah puts it like this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. When we gather together, Jesus is in the midst of us by his Spirit. When we worship him, there's something of the glory of God amongst us. It changes us. Something happens. You see, glory, when the Bible uses the word glory, it's an unusual word. Glory uh, is defined in our dictionaries as magnificence or great beauty. But when it talks about, the Bible talks about God's glory, it's difficult to convey quite what it means. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, earlier in the book, he uh, has an encounter with the presence of God. Uh, The king Uzziah has died, and uh, in that moment he's died, and Isaiah is 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 disappointed. He was a uh, a close friend of the king, and so he's really sad about what's happened. And he says, in this moment, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's what he says at the beginning of Isaiah 6. And then he has an encounter with the living God. And this is what he says. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So what he's saying is this. God is holy. God is completely unlike you and I. He is unique. He is perfect. That's what holy means. He's totally different from us. And Isaiah says, the whole earth is full of God's glory. The revelation, if you like, the whole earth is full of the revelation of what God is like. Andrew Wilson, in his book Incomparable, says this, Our understanding of God is riddled with things that we cannot explain properly. And this makes him more glorious, not less. God is God. 
And there is so much that we don't understand about him. And yet that makes him more glorious than less. The Hebrew word for glory, when it, the Hebrews write it, when Isaiah wrote it, what he, the, the word actually means weightiness. Weightiness. It literally means God's substance. God's glory is God's substance. It's the reality of God. So it's his power, it's his beauty, it's his goodness, his justice, his honor. And God has all those characteristics in limitless supply. And so God's glory, when Isaiah says God's glory rises on us, what he's trying to say is that it involves, that means it involves an encounter with the reality of who God is. And there's a moment in the Old Testament where Moses, who... Uh, I mentioned earlier, he's leading God's people, and uh, he cries out to God, God, show me your glory. And God's answer to him is this. He says, I am going to speak over you who I am. I'm going to walk past you, but I'm going to speak over you who I am. And God passes in front of him and proclaims his name over him. And this is what he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. That is God's glory. God was revealing his glory to Moses. He said, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. God's glory reveals to us who God is. John Piper says this. He says, God is shouting at us. He shouts with clouds. He shouts with blue expanse. He shouts with gold on the horizons. He shouts with galaxies and stars. He is shouting, I am glorious. Open your eyes. It's like this, only better if you know me. All that you see out there in the glory of the heavens the staggering beauty of the sun as it rises on a winter's morning with a blue sky and the darkness of the sky as the sun starts to rise and the beautiful colors that you start to see. That's just a a, a pale shadow of God's glory. It's saying God is more glorious. He's more glorious than that. If you've uh, read any of C.S. Lewis's books, the Narnia series, and in lots of the books there are moments where uh, the, the children in the story, the Pevensey children, and uh, they'd be, they'll, they'll be walking, they'll be going somewhere, and they'll be walking through woods, and suddenly they'll, be a, they'll look through the trees, and in the, they'll see a cross, a cross on the other side of the valley, they'll see a lion, a glimpse of a lion walking through the trees ahead of them on the other side of the valley. And they'll see him. And, and the lion stands for Aslan, is, uh, is an analogy of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote the book Aslan, is, is, is an analogy of Jesus. And so it's all written trying to convey something of the gospel message in literary form. And so when they catch these glimpses, it's like a hint. There are moments in our lives when we're plowing through life. There's a moment when the, the trees open and we see something of God. We see something of the glory of God. We see something of Jesus. We were talking about that. We were in our worship this morning. The songs we were singing were about seeing Jesus. 
about encountering Jesus, about meeting with him. You see, the Old Testament is full of people who caught a glimpse of the glory of God. Abraham, who came from a moon-worshipping family. Hagar, a a physically abused mum. Jacob, a crook and a cheat. Moses, who himself was a murderer. Samuel was abandoned as a young boy and left in the temple. That's what it might have felt like to him as a young boy. Elijah, having a breakdown. What about us? Maybe you feel distant from God. Maybe you feel your life, you feel damaged, broken. Where is God? All of these characters had an, there was a moment they had an encounter with God. And something started to change. The direction of their lives started to change. We've been baptizing people over this last year. A number of people have been baptized and their stories are when they, they were moments in their darkness, they had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus, they caught a glimpse of him. Like across the valley, they saw him. And suddenly, things started to change. And Isaiah's message is, and actually, Isaiah, what Isaiah is saying is, actually, we need a bit more than that. We need more than just one encounter. See, he's writing to a people, a nation who viewed themselves as God's people. They viewed themselves as God's people. They had a history of God encounters. They would remember back to their deliverance from Egypt when literally God opened the Red Sea in front of a nation and they walked through on dry ground and the Egyptian army uh, were pursuing them and the waters of the Red Sea came over them and they were delivered. They were set free. As a nation, they would remember that they'd been in exile in Babylon. They'd been taken away to Babylon. And that God had opened the way for them very miraculously to be released and come back. Many of them to come back to their land, to Jerusalem. They'd been impacted by God's glory. And yet they followed a familiar pattern. All too soon, they slipped back into old ways. They forgot God. They replaced him as being God at the center of their lives. And they filled their lives with stuff, with worship of other things, with being self-focused instead of being God-focused. They remained religious, but in reality they were godless. And anybody looking on at these people, anybody looking on would have thought, all they would have seen was a people, they would have seen a fading glory. They would have seen something that was fading. I don't know if you've been to a hotel that was once grand and it, you get there and it looks grand on the inside. But as you go through the door and as you start to walk around and you go through the rooms, there's the wallpaper's a bit tired and the carpets are a little threadbare. There's a fading glory about it. It was once a great hotel, not quite there any longer. Football clubs that have huge stadiums that were once filled Every match day. And yet, as a club, they haven't won anything for decades. There are businesses that have lived, are living off past glories, past successes. And there are people who are relying on reputations that haven't stood the test of time. As a nation, the nation, our nation is Great Britain. 
We are long, we are, it's a long time since we've been a great nation. That title we gave ourselves doesn't, hasn't stood the test of time. And in reality, this is the story, the story of faded glory, it's the story of the human race, because God created us in His image. Adam and Eve knew deep, intimate fellowship with God. The writer of Hebrews tells us, What is man that you are mindful of him? You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. God created mankind. He created them and there was glory on them, something of the image of God. They were made in God's image. We were expressly created by God for relationship with him. We carried, we reflected his glory back in the beginning. And God gave us the authority to rule over his creation. And when Adam sinned and rebelled, God, God's presence was withdrawn. And Paul says we exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for idols, for other things. We put other things at the center of our lives. We started to worship other things rather than God. We worshiped ourselves and our own needs and our own wants and our own desires. And as we did that, the glory of God departed. But there was something of a fading glory about us because we were made for something better than that. It's why in every human being there's a longing for something better. There's dreams of achieving greatness. There is hope for eternity in the human heart. People hope that there's more to life than just this. Last year, I was in Nairobi, went to Kenya, went to one of the slums in Nairobi. 400,000 people living in a slum in Mahari. And I remember listening to a young girl who'd grown up in the slum, and uh, uh, Compassion were, were helping her with her education, with a hope and aim that she would be able to get a career and be able to build a life outside uh, the slum, but also be able to help. And her hope and desire and her dream was about bringing about changing her own life, but in her family, but also in the slum that she'd grown up. We are created. There's, there's something in us that hopes for more, that wants more, that believes more. There's got to be more than this. You see, we're not animals, as some would just have you believe. We are created, there's an imprint on us, something of the very hand of God is on us. Maybe faded glory, but there's something that in our hearts, God has placed eternity, a yearning for more. And only God can fill that hole. And you may be here this morning, and you may not know Jesus Christ as your personal self, but you can do it today, and you can have that hole filled with an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can know him. We're created for more. And maybe you sense it's true and yet you despair because you feel unable to keep on going. It's too hard. Like a diet, you start off well. You think, I'm gonna, I, I, I want to I be a, a follower of Jesus and then it just gets tough. And you're thinking, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like that diet, you start with great intentions. And then after week three and the chocolate bar is sitting there on the side, you think, oh, I, I just want that. And you just give in. 
And then once you give in, you think, well, I may as well, that's it, I may as well, I've blown it now. Maybe you're here feeling your Christian life is like that. You've tried and it just doesn't seem to work. Just got hard. God's got something he wants to say to you today. The most poignant example of being satisfied with fading glory is in the story of Moses that I referred to. And so when Moses would come out from the presence of God, the people would see Moses' face. They would see the glory of God on him. They would see something. He, this man has encountered God. And, and when it started to fade, they would, uh, Moses would put a veil over his face. It's sort of like this. You know, there, there are moments when we, we've been, we, 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 we feel God's with us. And then over the coming week, it starts to fade. We, we, we don't spend so much time with God. We don't pray. We don't read our Bible. And we feel that actually it's fading. And people see, they start to notice the change. They start to see actually us getting a bit more grumpy and a little bit more tetchy. We weren't like that on Monday, but, uh, but actually we're too, we've been too busy for, for, uh, for God this week because there's been so much going on and I haven't had much time to to, to spend time with him and draw near to him and, and, and receive of his grace and because there's been so much happening and, and then when you get to work, it's all full on and you're, you're a bit, oh, I, I, and, and you're, you're a bit quick with your words and, and suddenly people notice the difference. There's, they see that. And Moses, Moses didn't, he didn't want the people to see that so he covers his face with a veil. He didn't want people to see glory, the God fading. And so he covers with a veil. You see, the problem wasn't the glory of God. The problem was people's hearts. Moses was the best man for the job, but he just wasn't good enough. The Ten Commandments were good, but they simply exposed the problem. The problem was here. God's law, which was good, somehow just provoked something in us. We wouldn't have known what wrong was, what wrongdoing was, what sin was, if, if, if we didn't have the law, we went, oh, that's what it is. And actually, it provokes something. You know, that when you see the, the speed limit on the motorway, you know it's 70. We all, uh, maybe you don't, but most people. <laughs> Your Honour. <laughs> most people at 70, you know, you think, you're thinking, actually, I can do 75. I probably can do 77 and I'm going to be okay. That's how we, we think, well, it's okay. It's okay to cross the line. But no, it's not. The speed limit is 70. And we, we somehow, the, the law somehow provokes that sort of th- reaction in us. So it's okay. I can, go, I can go a little bit further. When someone else does it, it's, oh, well, I wish the police would stop him. We don't say that when we're doing it. He said, look at that bloke driving too close to that car in front. Oh, Annie, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's so dangerous. At 20 minutes when I'm doing it, I'm going, come on, get the guy in front, get him, move on. We are so inconsistent. We are so inconsistent. You see, there is a need for a, a better solution. There's a need for a better solution. Moses didn't have the answer. A better man was needed. And into this, Isaiah's message is one of hope. God's people who were living like in a spiritual desert would one day rejoice. Barrenness, he said, one day will give, 
rise to fruitfulness. God will restore what has been lost. And then hidden throughout Isaiah are hints of the answer. He prophesied of a day when God would come in a newer and better way. And there would be a surpassing glory. It wouldn't be fading glory anymore. There would be a surpassing glory. And this is what it says, what uh, 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 Paul says to the Corinthians. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? I don't know about you, but there are, there are moments when you... You, you, you've, you've got ready for, for something. You've, maybe you've done a task, and you've done it really well, and, and there's a, lots of people are doing the same thing, and you've produced something, and you, you're really delighted with it. And then you go to sort of like the event where they're gonna, people are going to show what they've done, whether it's a, a picture or a piece of work, or it's a, a project you've done, or it's uh, um, getting marks back from an essay. And, and when you get there, you're ready to talk about what, what you've done and show, show with it because you're really pleased. And then you see what other people have brought. And there's something inside you that goes, oh, uh, that's really good. Mine isn't so good. And you start to back off a bit because actually theirs looks so much better. There's something better about what they've done. Theirs is brilliant. Yours just looks now looks like pale imitation of, of what it could have been. And there are moments where we feel that there's something that, there's a, there's something that surpasses it. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about something that surpasses and goes way beyond what we've known before. This fading glory, this stamp on the human heart that has cre- that created for so much more. Paul says there's a surpassing glory that takes us above and beyond all of that. You see... God's solution was extraordinary. Isaiah prophesied about someone called the servant of the Lord. And throughout the book of Isaiah, we come across this face, the servant of the Lord. And Isaiah is talking about someone who would reveal God's splendor and God's glory to people. And this servant, would be, it would be no fleeting visit. He would bring in God's rule and God's reign in this world. And it's now... We come to that season of Christmas and this is the moment where God sent his son and his son breaks into this world and the glory of God is suddenly revealed. And what we'd seen in the, the clouds and the sky and the wind and the rain and the beautiful vistas and the scenery, somehow it surpassed because suddenly God is amongst us. God is on the scene. Jesus revealed God's glory. It's only through Jesus that we can know what God's like. Hebrews says that the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. And when Jesus became a man and a perfect man at that, John, the Apostle John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. God's plan was astounding. It was more than just an encounter And a one-off impact. God's plan was that he would share his glory with us. It's extraordinary. God, the God of heaven, would share his glory. He would put right what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. Jesus says this, I have given them, he has given my followers 
the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. It eclipses anything we could ever have hoped for. We have been inextricably linked with Christ. We are in Christ. That's what Paul says. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, within our very beings, and it's like Christ is dwelling in our hearts. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything changes. It's not just a stamp. Suddenly, God is dwelling in us. That's the message of the gospel. That's the glory of God. God wants to show his glory to the world around us, but it's through us, through him dwelling in us and amongst us as his people. How can God dwell in us? Well, Jesus, after he died and rose from the dead, returned to his Father in heaven, and Jesus promised, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit won't just be on you, which is what had previously happened, the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. Jesus said, it's better I go, which is an extraordinary statement. I'd, my, yeah, if I was there, I'd be thinking, I'd rather have you with me, Jesus. Jesus says, no, no, it's better I go. And what he's saying is that each one of you, he, Jesus is saying, I can only be in one place at one time. But when I go to heaven, I will send the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in each one of you. Each one of us can know the presence of God with us, can know the glory of God with us. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. God, Paul says, is at work transforming us from one degree of glory to another. God is working on us. He's not left us in the state we're in. You may think you've had a bad week this week. Well, God's not finished with you. He's working on you. He's wanted to transform you and work on you and change you and make you more like Jesus. That's what he's about. So this means that we should say the sort of things that Jesus would say and do the things that Jesus would have done. That's why in the book of Acts, the Christians in Antioch, it says of them that they were mockingly called little Christs, Christians. The people in the city mocked them. That was, a, that was, that was not a, a positive thing. The Christians, the first believers, loved it. They're saying, you think we're like Jesus? Wow, that's amazing. God, your glory working out through us. That's extraordinary. They were thrilled with it. Today... Believers call themselves Christians, but what do people out there say? What do they say when they look at us? Do they see, do they see the image of Christ? What did Jesus say? What are the sort of things that Jesus said? Well, he only ever said what he heard his father saying. He went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Are we being transformed into his image? Are we reflecting his glory, that surpassing glory? Are we asking God to change us every day? Is that your prayer when you get up in the morning? God, be with me. Change me today. If we want the life of Jesus to be increasingly revealed in us, something needs to die. Spurgeon summed it up like this. You will never glory in God till, first of all, God has killed your glorying in yourself. 
Let me say that again. You will never glory in God till, first of all, God has killed your glorying in yourself. Do we sound like Jesus? Here's some of the things that Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's hanging on the cross. He's been put there, brutally treated. He's done nothing wrong, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He says, there's greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus laid his life down for his friends. Laid his life down. In fact, we heard this morning, he laid his life down for us when we were far from God and we were far from being his friends. This is what Matthew says. When Jesus heard what had happened and John the Baptist has just been executed by Herod, John the Baptist is a relative of Jesus. And Jesus is sad and he wants some space. And when Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot and from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He didn't say, I, look, I'm, I've just had a rough day. Give me some space. I need some space. He had compassion on them. A man with leprosy came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Do we act like Jesus? Those are the sorts of things Jesus said. Do we act like Jesus? Do we forgive people willingly or readily? Or do we struggle letting go when we've been hurt by people? Maybe you've come here today and you're, you're just struggling with issues of unforgiveness. Jesus says there's surpassing glory for you to help you go above and beyond where you're at. Are you we willingly putting others' needs before our own? We come to this season, this season where, I mean, we have everything. But there are some people who have nothing. And we were hearing last week of the challenge of caring for those who have less, are less fortunate than ourselves. Are we willing to put others' needs before our own? Do we make space and time for people when we have our own battles or we're busy? When we've had a tough week, are we willing to make space and time for people? Or are we just too busy and we put people off and push people away? Do we reach out to those who no one else will go near? When Jesus, with the, the leper, the leper that Jesus healed, when he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean, and Jesus said, I'm willing. When that moment happened, Jesus, it says, he reached out and touched him. This guy was socially ostracized. He didn't know what it was to be touched by people. He hadn't felt a human hand for years. Probably the only people who touched him would, would have been other lepers. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. Are we the people who reach across and will give anybody space and time? Do we pray in faith? Jesus, our great high priest, is able to save us completely because he, the Bible says he's always praying for us. He's always interceding for us. So when Jesus goes into, the, is in the, as he's in the presence of God... He's our great, the Bible talks about him being like a high priest. And in the Old Testament, the high priest had, uh, used to have to wear an outfit. And on the outfit was part of the breast, 
breastplate that hung from the shoulder piece. It had stones, 12 stones, and it had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of God on it. And so when the high priest went into God's presence, he carried over his heart and on his shoulders, he carried the people before God. We have a high priest who, when he goes into the presence of God, as he stands in the presence of God right now, he has your name on his heart and on his lips. He wants us to be people who carry others into God's presence. So when we're coming to pray, we bring others before God. We pray for people. Are, we, are you stirred to pray and pray for people? If someone's sick, are you, are you stirred? I, I just want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Do we have an expectancy of God moving amongst us and answering prayer because God dwells in us by His Spirit? You see, God wants His glory to be in the church, in the people of God, us amongst us. The church to be full of the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the generosity of God, the salvation of God. And salvation includes forgiveness from sin, but it also includes, it's holistic, it's talking about healing from emotional and physical pain. That's why we pray for the sick. We pray for the sick because God loves to heal. This is what Paul says to the Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church, for his presence to be evident in the church in, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just say, God, come on, Lord, come and do it amongst us. Will you come and do it in this place amongst us? May we see something more of the surpassing glory of God amongst us. Is that not your heart's desire? Is that not your heart's desire in your own life? Something more of the surpassing glory of God in your life working through you. Is that not your heart's cry? Come on, Lord, do it. Because you see, above and beyond this, there is something else. There is a future glory, and we're going to finish with this. The truth is, we live in an in-between season. Like autumn, I feel autumn's always a bit of an in-between season. Summer's over, but winter hasn't quite yet arrived. When a mum is pregnant, but the baby isn't due yet for a, for a few months. Where a couple are engaged, but the wedding is months away. It's the difference between D-Day and V-Day. When D-Day happened and, and a bridgehead was established in northern Europe, the Second World War was the, the outcome of the Second World War was settled in that moment. There would be lots of other battles, but it was settled. Actually, it was D-Day. Victory was going to happen, but it was months and months before final victory was assured. There were people who died in between. And we live in that period. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's gone to his Father. He's poured out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, God's Spirit dwells in you. And God wants you to be filled with his glory every day, his presence. But actually, we live in a battleground. We live in that 
tension between the here and not yet. God's kingdom has come, but it hasn't fully come because there is a day coming. There is a day of future glory coming. And everything will be different. The promise of Isaiah is, through, and the promise right throughout the Bible actually, is that there's a final day when God will put uh, right all wrongs. And Jesus Christ will be our everlasting glory. Eden will be restored. God will create a new heaven and earth. And all will be as God planned and intended. We'll no longer have to walk by faith, trusting God, because we'll walk by sight. We will see him face to face. Sin, which is already now toothless, will be vanquished. Death, which is defeated, will be ended. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God will be at the center of his people. He will be our light. We long for this future glory. We long for it. And Peter urged those he was writing to, and through them he urges us, This is what he says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will come. It will happen. There is a day coming when Jesus Christ will return in all his glory. In keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. just want to finish with something John Piper says. This is what he says. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. Maybe some of you are here today. You understand a little bit about faded glory. You know there's a longing in you for something more. You know there's eternity in your heart and you you long for something, hope beyond the grave. And yet, you don't know Jesus personally as your Savior. You can put that right. Right now, we're going to break bread in a moment. As we break bread, we are remembering Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And as we take the bread, we are saying, Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me. Your body was broken for me. You bore my wrongdoing, my sin in your body on the tree. God punished you, Jesus. That's what we're saying. God punished you, Jesus, instead of me that I might be free. And as I drink the wine I'm drinking the wine remembering that Jesus' blood was shed for me. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. This reminds us that our sin is dealt with once for all. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful moment. And maybe you're here and you know something of faded glory. You can know surpassing glory today. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. Why don't you, as 
We take bread and wine. Why don't you do that with us as a sign that you're giving your life to him today? And then afterwards, come and tell someone what you've done. But if that's you and you, yeah, actually you're not ready to make that, I'd, I'd just let, I'd encourage you just to stay where you are and just rest in the moment and allow God to keep speaking to you by his spirit. But for most of us here, there is God dwells in us by his spirit. There is a surpassing glory and God wants to change you from one degree of glory to another. Jesus himself said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what he sent us to do. That's what he's called us to do. And he wants us to be filled with his spirit that we might do that for him, that we might walk with him. And as we take bread and wine this morning, I'm going to encourage you to come before God and say, God, come and fill me again with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, you died on the cross that I might know surpassing glory. Far more than I've seen. Maybe you don't feel you've seen much. Well, actually, there's more for you. God's not finished with you yet. Maybe you feel, I've, I'm not sure I've really ever achieved anything for him. Well, it's not what you achieve, it's what he achieves through you. And he wants to use you. So why don't, as we take bread and wine, you just say, Jesus, I give myself to you again. I die to myself and I want you to live in me in increasing measure by your spirit. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. And as we do this, take this bread and wine, we have in our eyes a future glory, a day coming when all will be put right. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I'm going to ask the band to come out. And we're going to break bread. They'll play, be playing quietly. And then we're going to sing a song to finish. But as we take bread and wine, I'm going to ask you to come forward. And wherever you are, maybe you want to do it by yourself. Maybe you want to do it with others.